0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, your Senior Pastor Dan Willis. This is, this is a strange message. Uh, uh, Julie asked me uh, many moons ago, Julie, do you remember? Where are you? Would you ever do a series on Jude? <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> and, uh, or I didn't think so, or maybe. Or I, I, I don't know why I told you. But, um, you know, I developed this, uh, this sermon series um, several months ago and over the course of several uh, weeks. But uh, I, I think it's a, an interesting uh, group, group of messages. And so it's a mini-series, I guess you would say, because Jude isn't that long. Uh, and so today we're going to look at the first two chapters of, Ju- or first two verses of Jude, because only one chapter, and it's called contending for the faith, or defending the faith, either way, uh, contending is better, because that's what the Greek word really means. I, I originally named it, as John called my attention to this morning, defending the faith, because that's what it is, but contending means more. Contending means not only defending it, but then, then becoming offensive with it, okay? So you're, you're not only defending it, but you're fighting for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we don't want to be completely defensive over the faith because that won't go anywhere. But, but contending for it, fighting for it, now that, that means something. And that's exactly what Jesus did, you see. So that's what the Greek word means. And that's, you might see defending in, in some versions of Scripture, but contending is the, is the right word. So I renamed it appropriately, contending for the faith. And this one is called, called, loved, and kept. And, again, in versions of Scripture, you will find a little bit of differential as what words are used there. Okay? So, called, loved, and kept. It comes from Jude. uh, The first two verses. Listen carefully out of the New International Version. Jude, who is a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. That alone is massive. It's huge. And I'm going to explain a little bit of, of that to you in a few minutes. But understand, he's saying he's first a servant of Jesus Christ, and secondly, a brother of James. He's a younger brother of James, who I would say is the younger brother of Jesus, too. Both of them were. You understand? Family members. Okay? So, he's first a servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't consider himself his brother, even though he is. He's a servant first, and then he's a brother of James, who he's giving what to? Obviously, he's giving uh, respect to, because James is older than he is, and Jesus placed James over him in the church. You see that? So he's a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And then he says this, I'm writing to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and who are kept in that love by Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. He says to this, mercy, peace, and love be yours. And not only that, but in abundance. That's what I have for you today. That's all we're doing right there. And you're like, you're seriously going to have a message on that. Yep. Because we really can't understand the rest of what he's saying until we grasp that part. That's the premise for this entire mini-series. Now. Throughout the New Testament, we find very serious and numerous warnings about this impending apostasy. Now, I have to start there by saying impending apostasy. That means that which is going to happen. It's it's, it's not happened yet, but it's going to happen. Okay? And that's true. Now, most people say, okay, and blow right past that, but you don't even understand what apostasy is. Therein... That's the problem. We don't even know what it means. Apostasy means turning away from a religious belief system of some sort. In this case, it would be Christianity. So he says there's people that are going to turn away from Christianity. And Christ himself warned the false prophets were, were going to arise in the years to come. He said that the love of many people would grow cold toward the Father and toward one another. And he said that only those who would endure all the way to the end would actually be saved. Now, I'm paraphrasing various scriptures, but that's in a nutshell what he said. And then the Apostle Paul comes along and he foretells of how many disciples who became Christians and who became not only uh, Christians, but teachers of the word, those who, who were those out teaching it they too would be pulled away from it and begin to teach wrong things. He said that uh, uh, not only would that happen, but people would begin to listen because they enjoyed the way their ears were tickled. And That's exactly the words that are used there. Tickled. Ears are tickled. And then Peter comes along and he warns about the rise of even more false teachers, not just disciples, but those who are going out there becoming apostles and teaching you know, on a, on a, not only as a pastoral level, but in a strong laity level. Those people would also be, in fact, in that manner, entire congregations would begin to teach heresy in the church. Now, back then, in their day, you might think, well, I can see how that would happen. But now? But the Greek word that's used there, and Pastor Bob will tell you this is true, means that which is coming it's impending. So in other words, it will always be coming. That means it's going to continue in history. That's stunning to me. You would think that by now, we would throw that out. It could never happen with all the technology we have and, and understanding that we have and, and the strength of the church and numbers that we have, and especially in a nation as an America where you have freedom of it, of it, where the government can't involve itself in it, even though it sometimes does, that it wouldn't happen. And yet, friends, it has. And is, which is interesting to me. And doesn't Jude put it on the line here? And isn't he, not isn't he? It's like almost like how would you know that? Well, he wouldn't have unless somebody told him. And who was it? Clearly the Holy Spirit. That's the killer for me. And if you go down through this, uh, he will find out next week. He starts out in the second or in the third verse by saying, you know, I meant to write a letter telling you how great you were and how glorious Christ is and how wonderful the faith is. He says, but uh, I had to change my tune a little bit and do something different. And he says, now I have to tell you this. That means the Holy Spirit changed his mind. That's, that's huge, okay? And as we look at that, we find out that the, uh, the danger that we find by the time the epistles of John and Jew were written, that it's no longer impending, that it's actually there. It's starting to, it's happened. And that's that's why it becomes uh, uh, present tense for him. Uh, Antichrist were present, false prophets were in the world, and so the Holy Spirit impressed upon Jude to change his original epistle into this this, uh, dangerous thing that was about to happen, the apostasy. And if it was already present in the first century, will we be so silly to think it wouldn't be present in the 21st century? First century, 21st century. We are 20 centuries beyond when this happened. I wonder if that's significant, from the first century now to the 21st century, that we would be celebrating this epistle in that manner. And I thought, maybe God's return is a lot closer than we thought, okay? And the, if the millennium has something to do with it, and clearly in Daniel and Revelation it does, well, 20 years could be a millennium, if, if you stretch it out with 20. You understand what I'm saying? That's That's massive. Okay, so uh, as I begin to think about that, wow, man, that's 20 centuries, that's, ooh, yikes. So having said that, we're going to have to pay close attention to these writers to know how to deal with it. And for that reason alone, to me, the epistle Jude is especially relevant, and that's a word that's practiced so heavily and and is used so much today, relevancy. Everybody wants to be relevant. Everything we hear ought to be, to whom? To whom? I mean, that's a fair question. If you're, if you're going to say, I want to be relevant or I want to hear something relevant, then my question to you is, to whom? Because what's relevant to me might not necessarily be to someone in a different generation. And what's relevant to me might not be to somebody in a different situation. And what's relevant to me might not be to somebody in a different country. see, relevancy is meaningless if we we don't understand what it means. And so, as I began to look at Jude, I thought, okay, the reason this is relevant is because it's relevant to what? Everyone. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what your generation is. It doesn't matter what your race or creed is. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your belief system is or has been. It doesn't matter what your financial status is. It doesn't matter anything in life, even in your age. It means nothing. That means it's relevant to everyone. And if you don't think it is, then you're not relevant. Do You understand that? Because in our humanness, we want to be relevant. And relevancy is whatever we think it is. It's whatever focus we put upon it it's whatever value we place on it that's what's relevant to us that's why in our humanness it will always be different it will differ it will change even because what was relevant to me 20 years ago no longer is the bible says that people are changeable but god is not he is immovable so if that's the case my friends then what is relevant and to whom Do you know that there are people in the world today that God is not relevant? Is that scary to you? Hmm. Why is God relevant to you? Because you know what he's done, what he's going to do. Okay, So let's talk about relevancy then for a second. If Jude is saying this is relevant, we better listen. Okay? Why? Because... With the truth in mind, we we're going to begin this series of expository sermons based upon its contents. In verses 1 and 2, he begins his letter in a typical fashion. He identifies himself again as the brother of Jesus and yet the brother of James. And we know from other verses that this indeed is, uh, you know, Jesus is the older brother, then James is the firstborn between Mary and Joseph, and then Jude is down the line. He's not even second. He's down the line. It doesn't matter. Uh, I can give you a lesson on who the brothers are, Joseph and, you know, Anyway, his real name is actually Judas, but he doesn't want to be called that because obviously Judas Iscariot, would, know, right? Uh, and so he just called himself Jude. Now I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later in here too. But either way, and so he's modest, clearly. Uh, he could have called himself the brother Jesus in this epistle, but he doesn't. And then he, he begins to address his original readers no matter uh, what church is? no particular church or individuals are named. Why? Because it's the living word of God, which means it'll be relevant to any group of people of all time at every church of all time. Not just the one he wrote to, but the one of today and the one of tomorrow. Okay? That's why, that's why it's relevant, you see. Because all scripture is relevant. Why? Because Paul said to Timothy, it's all God-breathed and all of it. I mean, this is why when people say, well, you know, we don't know if it's... He says it's all God-breathed. And that means if God didn't want it there, it wouldn't be. Right? If God didn't want something in the scripture, is he not powerful enough to keep it out? Hmm? Well, he did. There are certain pseudographical books out there that aren't there. <laughs> they're pseudographical books. They're not in the scripture. Amen? Yeah. Okay, so now, did man remove some books? Yes, we have. Uh, yes, we have. No, there's no question we've removed them. And there is there a dispute of whether they're scriptural or not to some? Doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, What we need to have, we have. And this is what we have to grasp, okay? Not going to get into a discussion about that. But here's the thing. Notice what he says here. He says they are simply those called, loved by God the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. And I just, I, I couldn't get away from that. And I thought, you know what? Do we really know what that means? Do we really know what that means? Because some versions don't say that we're loved. It says we're sanctified. Because in this case, the word means the same thing. I'm going to teach you that today. This is a very indiscriminately used and rarely used Greek word that means love and sanctified at the same time. It's a deeper love because it means we're one with the Father. That's unbelievable to me. And let me explain that even, and that's why this epistle is even more relevant. But either way, so I, maybe I'm rambling a little bit, but I want you to understand the depth of this, okay? Because I, I've got so much in my mind, I can't get it to you. Does that make sense? So it doesn't matter who they are or of what time. We're called, loved, and kept in Christ Jesus. For this reason, this epistle has been categorized as Catholic, small c, universal, all people of all faiths. It means it's in every Bible and we all ought to take it the same because there's nothing in here really that would be denominationally or theologically separated. Unlike other scriptures where we might not think it means the same thing. Does that make sense? Okay. This one really doesn't have that, although some would say it does. But either way, it's it's called a general epistle. And a general epistle, as Pastor Bob will tell you in any other person who's gone to school, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st John, these are called general epistles. Because everybody agrees that everything in them means the same thing, mostly. Paul's letters, well, <laughs> there's worse differential there. Uh, some denominations will disagree with it. Either way, before we go any further, I want you to understand that he gives us a salutation and then this threefold benediction. He says, "Mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance." That's really the big thing here. He says, uh, we're called, loved by God the Father, kept in Christ. And he says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Those are the things you want to put together and address here in this message. He concludes then by saying we have to take careful notice of this. It's worthy of our careful notice. Why? Because Jude's purpose is to warn us of these ungodly people who have crept into the church. Does it mean they crept into the Wesleyan Church? Yes. Does it mean they crept into the Roman Catholic Church? Yes. Does it mean they crept into the Baptist Church down the street? Yes. Does it mean they went to Cross T, to Maryland? To Yes. Does it matter whose name's on the front door or what it represents? No. If If it's a Christian church, or they claim to be a Christian church, it's crept in there. Amen? That's what he's trying to say. It's universal. And the fact that a warning was even necessary suggests that the danger is real and that people really are being led away from true Christianity. Do you think they are? And it means that if they identify as Christians, that their Christianity, if if they're being led away, but they identify as a Christian, what's happened? Then their Christianity is false. If they're practicing Christianity, but they've been led away from it, then what kind of Christianity is it? In their minds, you ready for this? It's relevant. In their minds, their Christianity is relevant. There's a variety of reasons why something's relevant to us. Isn't it? There's a variety of reasons why something's relevant. And most of it's right here. Right here. And God says, mm, I want to give you the truth. I want to write it here. Mm-hmm. And these two. If you're gonna be mine must be in agreement what you want to think and believe does not count never has never will because if your spirit is in me then I've got this and that's going to control this and now you're gonna have discernment by the renewing of your mind as to what is true and faithful and what is just in humanity relevant wow i mean that's that that we we, we could stop the sermon right there and you could go home and got something (laughs) yeah well (laughs) okay but friends i want to go back if their christianity is false then what have they done then they've made it up as they went along because it felt good to them they liked it and we typically choose churches for that reason don't we we choose churches that say the things that we want to believe and act a certain way that we want to follow. And when they stop doing that, what do we do? Look for something else. How many people, percentage-wise, do you think really choose a church and go there even if they don't personally want to but God let them there? Probably not very many. Does that make sense? Because, again you're certain that God will send you where you really want to go. (laughs) Amen? And yet Jude uses terms in his address that some would say teaches the impossibility of an apostasy when he uses things like kept in Christ. It is to that end then that I want to focus on what apostasy is so that we understand it. And then focus on the concepts of the three words that Jude uses, called, loved, and kept. Because if this is a general epistle, like we all say that it is, then it doesn't matter what your theological belief system is, it's, it's, it, should be, it should fit. And if they don't, then we're the problem, not the word. Okay? Now, first of all, Christians are called. And I have to tell you that we're only christians because of jesus christ there is no other reason that you're a christian does that make sense you, there would there would be no need for a christian if there was no christ in fact there wouldn't be anything called christian if there was no christ and paul says that many are called and it's a holy calling in second timothy 1 9 and yet jesus taught that few are chosen many are called but few are chosen many are called few are chosen Jesus said that all are called, really. We we translate it many, but it means all. All are chosen, but only a few. Or Many are called, but only a few are chosen. Why? That's a fair question. Why? Jesus and Paul both teach... Teach us that this calling was not according to anything we had done, no meritorious works, nothing that we personally could do. But instead, it was according to God's own purpose and His own grace, even before time began. And Emmaus people understand that to be prevenient grace. Yeah? And some of you who don't know what it is probably need to go on a mass walk or a great banquet or whatever. Yeah? Or a trace dias or Whatever. Secondly, this call came one way and one way only, and that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called because of Christ, we're Christians because of Christ, and we only got this calling through the gospel of Christ. Either you believe in it or you don't. Because those who walk with Christ got the calling directly from him. We did not. We received it by the word that was left behind for us. Yeah? his, his gospel. I believed in Jesus Christ based on what I read and the power of the Spirit in me that made me believe with my discernment that it was not only relevant, it was real. Yeah? Because yeah. relevancy changes, but realness doesn't. Make sense? Okay? You see, we became God's chosen and called through the means of the gospel. 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And there it is. The truth is what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means eternity. Okay? By having the gospel preached to all creation, the call is made available to whom? Everyone. Isn't it? Jesus himself said this was true in Mark 16. Now Calvinists are going to tell you this isn't true. They're going to tell you that, that God determined only certain people. They can believe that all they want. I don't. There's nothing in Scripture that, I, that shows me that that's true in consistency. You can't do it. And I'm not going to get into uh, End versus Baptist fight here today. But what I'm going to say to you is, I read this, it says, All are called, but few are chosen. That's the difference. Okay? Then he says, He's consistent, because he desired all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2. He desired all to be saved and come to an understanding of the truth. Do you think that God wants every every person ever created to come to to an understanding of the truth? Because I do, all right? And then we find out, that in order for that to take place and happen, what did Jesus do? He sacrificed himself. Sacrificed himself to be the ransom for who? All. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, to six, he desired that none perish but come to repentance. 1 Peter 2, or 2 Peter 3, 9. That all would feel the call, all would accept the call, and all would have salvation in eternity. Yeah? That's what this means. So, our, responsible, our responsibility is to do one thing. And that's to make our calling and our salvation eternal. In other words, God said, I'm going to meet you where you are, but only you can jump on the boat or get on the Happy Day Express or whatever it is you want to call it. My, I, I was on the Happy Day Express. Who was on that as a kid in Bible school? Come on. Raise your hand if you were on the Happy Day Express. Nobody here is on the Happy Day Express. There are certain analogies you should never use. <laughs> I'm going to a mansion on the Happy Day Express. The Lord calls out for heaven. Yeah, we all, say, we all answer yes. Yeah. Jerry's the only one besides me that was in that... Okay. Anyway, whatever... Whatever you're on, okay? You can call anything you want. (laughs) Okay. I just lost my, where am I at here? Okay. I was in the zone, so good too. Okay, listen. (laughs) Everybody's called. Every one of us, okay? But it's our responsibility to stay there. I'm going to meet you. I'm gonna make it available to you, and you can get on. But but don't ever get off. Because no one's gonna force you off. If you're off, you got off. On your own, you decided. And friends, to stay in your calling and remain in your salvation eternally requires diligence. Trust me, it does. I know so. So do you. How do I know? 2 Peter 1, 10, 11, New American Standard. Therefore, brethren, be what? All the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. In other words, he will never change. The means will always be there, but if you're not there, it's on you. Okay? It's on you. The problem seems to be that we are not diligent, because if you were, you would never lose it. You would never walk off. You would never slip away, if you were diligent. Has anybody ever lost their keys before? Have you ever lost your cell phone? Uh Uh-huh. Why? Because you put them down and don't remember where you put them. You weren't diligent to put them in the same place every time or keep a close eye on them. And don't tell me you've never lost a kid before, (laughs) because it's not that hard to do, is it? Mm -hmm. The question is, and and as as a law enforcement officer, if you lost your kid, I'm going to ask you, were you diligent to keep an eye on your child? And you have, I already know the answer, it's rhetorical, I already know the answer. You can't say yes, because you weren't. Because if you were, what would have happened? You would have never lost sight of him. Now, if someone came and snatched him, that changes the ballgame, doesn't it? If you you were diligent and watching him, you'd have seen somebody snatch him, yeah? You see the difference between what he's talking about here? But we will say, when we weren't diligent, that it was taken from us, when it was never taken from you. Why? Because it cannot be. Got to change your mind here. Yeah, change your mind to the mind of Christ, to the mind of God. We aren't a diligent people today because we don't like responsibility. This is easily proven. I'm not going to get into that. But more than that, when we're diligent, it typically isn't with our faith. We might be diligent, all right, but not with that. And in your mind, God is bringing to you by the power of the Spirit what you're diligent about. You may not like to admit it, but he's given it to you. And the writers of the scripture warn that if we aren't diligent, we're going to be like the Israelites were in the wilderness. Just like the, the writer of Hebrews tells a whole story about, hey, God got them out of Egypt. But for whatever reason, they didn't seem to want to be diligent to follow his laws and commands. They would have got into the uh, promised land 40 years sooner than they did. But I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but basically, if you read you know, Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, you'll find out that the writer just recounts everything that they did, which was basically not diligent in Christ, not diligent in God. They went ahead and did what they wanted to do, and God didn't let them into the promised land for over 40 years. Basically, he wanted them all to die off. And I began to think about that, and thought, wow, so what does this mean? It means that all were called by God to enter the promised land, but most were unable to attend it or enter it because unbelief led to lack of diligence. And friends, it's the need for faithful diligence that explains the many warnings against this apostasy that's found in the scripture. It also helps us to understand why Jude felt it was so necessary to change his mind or write a different epistle than he had planned. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit needed you and I to know. It's there. The second thing we find is that Christians are loved by the Father. Now, you remember I told you earlier that loved in this spot means sanctified. It does. I'm not going to get into that. But, but the Greek word that's translated loved is hagiazo. Hagiazo. It's H-A-G-I-A-Z-O. And what it means is to make holy or set apart for a special purpose. Therefore, if you really want to look at it, God has set those apart who have been called. And it's obvious that he loved us, but why did he sanctify us? I mean, I understand why he loved us. The Bible says he did, and that's enough. But why would he want to sanctify us? And there's a couple of reasons why he did it. You see, sanctify, if you're going to say that love here means sanctify, that God wanted to sanctify us through his love in some manner this is where it starts to get kind of murky and God doesn't want things to be murky for us and if there's murkiness it's because we're not able to understand it and the reason we're not is because we haven't been diligent to study the scriptures so he can teach us more his word so I began to think about that so how do I teach the congregation why God wanted to sanctify us well it's pretty simple One, Jesus prayed for it. But secondly, because it's a more complete love than what we're used to understanding. Let me explain that to you. The reason it is, is because we become more than just this creation when that happens. You see, the world wants to say that we're all children of God, and that is false. I know you don't want to hear that. I know that some people will get upset, and they'll put a blinders up immediately and bl- say, oh, no, no, no. Well, but this, this isn't my opinion. This is what he says. Okay, We become a child of God through the new birth. You understand? Because in the old birth, which is through hu- human reproduction, we are born into the old creation, and into the old status, which is controlled by, and and <laughs> the status is different, too. It's controlled by whom? Satan. You're born into sinful belief systems, sinful activity, and lostness. Now, that's not a word, but you understand what I'm saying. We're born lost. Yeah? Born outside of God through the fall of man that started in the garden. Yes, Okay? So that's how the progression works. So here's the thing. (laughs) When God loves you through sanctification, when you you become sanctified through his love and in his love because they're one and the same, it's synonymous here, you become one with the Father through it. It's not possible otherwise. And you can't become one with the Father unless you go through the Son. Why? Because He's the only one that lived life sinless. He was the only sacrifice that could have given us that status. Everybody understands that, but we really don't get it sometimes. Okay. Let let me go a different direction. How do I say it? Well, there's a process of what we find, what we call sanctifying love, okay? I'm trying to give you a lesson in Wesleyan theology and at the same time help you understand why it's biblical and why, what it means in the love of God. First of all, it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit because we're sanctified, what? In the Spirit, Okay. According to Romans 15, 16, this is true. And then we're sanctified by the Spirit of God. We're sanctified in the Spirit and by the Spirit. In and by. Those are huge. Why? Because Paul says so in 1 Corinthians six eleven. But the Bible has more to say than that. In fact, it says we are sanctified by the Spirit in 2 Thessalonians. And then he talks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit that is in us, which means he's living in us as a sanctified being. And he won't live there unless you are. But I thought sanctified was down the road. It is. But it's also at the beginning. You understand? The father always gave the son what he asked for. I could find no place where he didn't. Anybody ever thought about that? The father always gave the son what he asked for. Why? Because the son was the only one worthy of such an honor. Now, he offered it other people sometimes, right? He told Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah, He told David, whatever you ask for, I'll do it. And he told us through Jesus, whatever you shall ask for, I shall do it. Yeah? But he started with the Son. Why was the Son worthy? Because he completely honored the Father in his humanness and was without sin. So when Jesus prayed for it, the Father granted it. By that manner... It is also, therefore, not just the work of the Spirit, but the work of God. Isn't it? He says, sanctify them by your truth, for your word is... And you don't know. Sanctify them through your word, for your word is... Truth. Isn't it? For your word is truth. John 17, 17. And he says that he might sanctify by the word, Ephesians 5, 26. Since the word of God is said to be the sword of the spirit, the word is evidently the instrument that that is used by the spirit to help bring about our sanctification. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. Then why aren't we all sanctified then? Because we refused to get to the point where it does it. We want to fight with our own ideals, our own relevance, versus the sword of the spirit that's in the truth. And that's why there's all these different flavors of Christianity out there. And if everybody would just get on the same page, so to speak, or pages, perhaps we would be of one mind and spirit, as Jesus prayed for us to be. Because we can't be when we all want to have our own belief system, what feels good to us. What sounds good to us, what we like, what's relevant. relevant. Mm. My aim today is to teach you what is really relevant. What's really relevant. Now, here's a question for you. Where would we be without the Word of God? Where would any of us be without the Word of God? Isn't, have, you ever, have, you, have you considered that? Where would you be without the Word of God? See, I, I can't stop with that question. Do you ever get the idea that maybe some Christians aren't really living up to their Christian potential by the Word of God? Do you, you, you ever wonder... Or think that maybe some Christians aren't really living by the word of God at all? That maybe their opinions and beliefs don't exactly line up with it? Anybody ever thought that? Nobody does, huh? Then you're not in the world. Either that or you're not in the word. Because if you're in the word and living in today's society, then you know that there are people out there who say they're Christian that doesn't line up with this. At all. And some of them, so-so, kind of depends on what mood you are in that day. Well, if this is true, then are they sanctified? No. Because the Bible says they aren't. Now, let, let me look at it a different way. Let's look at the, process of sancti- or pro- the progress of sanctification. Some people understand sanctification as an all-at-once or in a two-stage kind of thing such as Wesley's view and the concept of entire sanctification. Basically, if you're sanctified all at once, it means that you've arrived, as soon as you get saved, you've arrived at this perfect understanding of what God is, and you live accordingly. (laughs) Nobody does that, do they? You want to, you think you can, but you don't. Why? Because it's a process. And, and, you know, when you got saved, didn't you have to kind of let God kind of, Percolate in there a little bit. It kind of it, it's, it's, not, you know, its not the microwave nuke thing that happens. It's the—it's the, the crockpot thing that works. <laughs> I mean, you know, my, my, my wife, my family, and people tell me I need to give you more you know things that you can get. Why well, you know I I can do it, I can either do it in the crockpot or I can do it in the microwave, and one's quick and the other isn't. But I think the results a little better in the crockpot. How may, how many how many people like InstaPots? There's a reason why you do, okay? Instant is fast, but the quality typically isn't as good. I remember the day when they made microwave cakes. Who remembers those? They're not out there anymore. You won't find one. I think you could probably do it, but they weren't very good. And they they they're like this big, remember? Who remembers those things? How many of you guys have never heard of such a thing in all your life? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But microwaves were so new that we, right? And we just found out. Even though the microwaves are good, they're not good for everything, right? They're not good for everything. I personally don't like popcorn in a microwave. I'm not supposed to eat popcorn anyway. But, right, there's something about popping it the old-fashioned way that's just better. Anybody? Even though you can do it in a microwave, you shouldn't. Uh, I've, I've done, you know, I'm just, I'm just using that as one analogy, There's a lot of reasons for this, but you have to understand that there's got to be this this crockpot, this percolation that's got to take place within you because the slower it works, and and Billy will tell you that the key to smoking is what? Low and slow, slow, baby. (laughs) Low and slow. It gives you great results. We could nuke it, couldn't we, Bill? But what would it be like? Leather. Leather. So, you understand that there's this this process that takes place in our Christianity, where God continues to move and work upon us. We get deeper and stronger. We call this progressive sanctification. And then we get to the second place where Wesley said, something happens within you, that you've you've learned so much that all of a sudden, something like the light comes on your head. You're like, oh, gosh, you know, i got to quit sinning. And you know what? I want to. I, wanna, I, 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 I want to. I want to. I don't want to do that. And how do, Sue, where's Sue? Sue in here? Sue says this I don't want to be that away. Right? Friends, I don't want to be that away. I don't want to be what was, I want to be what is. Yeah? It, 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 we all, don't we all want that? We, we know what the old was, we want the new. We're, we're, we're delighted with the new that God has wrought within us. This is what he's talking about. And then Wesley said this: a definite second work of grace where we no longer have any desire for sinful things, and we all know it. We know we don't. It doesn't mean we won't sin. It just means that we don't have desire for it. We fall, sure. We shouldn't, but we sometimes do. And aren't you glad for God's grace? That's when grace is relevant. That's when grace is good. Because you realize you messed up, and you're grateful that God forgives you. Yeah. But we still haven't arrived why because Wesley said that the Bible is clear we need to continue to be sanctified in Christ all the time which is exactly what Jew was talking about when he said we're kept in Christ we're kept there so let's take a, a closer look at what's involved in that kept actually means preserved and it comes from the Greek word terero Terrero. t-e-r-e-o which means to guard from loss or injury. And it also is used to describe that which is closely watched or guarded. Now, I began to think about that some because there's closely watched and guarded two ways. One of us negative, and one of us positive. Okay? God wants to closely watch and guard you and I from evility that's out there. Yeah? But he also closely watches and guards those evil people that are destined for judgment, as well as the angels that fell. From God's grace he's both of those are used in scripture that they're closely washed and guarded for the day of judgment is upon them how many of you knew that Marianne did Jimmy did God talks about that so it's two it's, it's two ways he guards us from the ability that caused them to fall because Satan caused them all to fall didn't he one that did it and when we fall who causes it well he does so God wants to guard us from the ability that's all around trying to get us to do that. He's also going to guard those who already made their decision who's destined for judgment. You understand? God watches closely all of us, Terrero. Okay? Here's the thing. <laughs> the Word gives us God's blessed assurance in Jesus Christ. That's, the word, that's truly the words in the Greek. If you look at it, we have a blessed assurance of what it is. It's not only assurance, it's a blessed assurance. And that's exactly what Fanny Crosby was trying to say in that beautiful hymn when she said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of what? Glory divine. You see, friends, because we belong to Christ, we have the assurance that we will have eternity with him, and we don't have to wait to eternity to get it. We can have it on earth. I know that I know. Do you know? It doesn't matter when this world ends, I have eternity even though I don't have it yet. I have it even though I'm not there. I will be because I have it. You understand? And I begin to think about that as, you know, if, if, if it's a foretaste of what's to come, that means. I'm starting to get a a precursor of what heaven's going to be like. And indeed, I do. Because I have something by the power of the Spirit that people that don't have the Spirit don't have. Right? You see what they don't, even though you haven't seen it all yet. Does that make sense? It's a foretaste. Now, how does that work since the devil's so powerful and the world is increasingly evil? You see, we we are being... Never mind about the angels, the fallen angels, and the evil people. That's for God to deal with. He just said, they're closely guarded. I believe they are. But what about us? We're being carefully guarded. How? In Christ by His Spirit. Peter uses a different Greek word here called thrueo to express a similar idea. And then we find that he, he, Paul uses a, a word sozo, which is also the same thing. His own confidence in God's preservation of the saints. But either way, it makes no difference because it means the same thing. Different Greek words all point to the same thing, that we can't do it on our own, that there's something out there that's more powerful than us that holds us within us, but we have to choose to stay. Friends, if you build a bomb shelter, it's good if you stay in it. Yeah? If you build a tornado shelter, it's good if you stay in it, right? We can make the safest cars in the world, but they're no good unless we stay in them. Which is why you have a seatbelt. I don't like them, but that's what they're there for. Science has proven that you're better off staying in the car than you are getting out of it (laughs) in a crash. (laughs) Yeah. Stay in. Why is Jude telling us this? Because Jesus knows that we have this idea of, this desire to get off sometimes or get out. Just like we go outside without coats when we should wear them. Just like the doctor says, here, you're sick, here, take this medication. Nah, I don't think so. Right? We don't prevent things that could be prevented. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to be anal here because some people are too far with that stuff. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to your salvation and preservation of the saints, I see, people say, what, you're Wesleyan? You believe preservation of the saints? I do. I believe in preservation of the saints because I believe it's conditional upon my heart. I believe I'm saved forever, and it can never be taken from me, but I can sure give it up if I want to. That's what I'm trying to say. No one can take it away from me, but I can give it up. And Jesus wants us to know something, the same thing He wanted the apostles and disciples to know, that Jesus reassured those who belonged to Him, no one could snatch us out of His hand. How do I know that? John 10, 27, 29, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then He prays, and He says, my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. He's praying to God when he says this. Isn't this beautiful? And he says this. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. The question is, are we a sheep? That's that's the question. See, That's the eternal question, and only God can answer it. But here's a second question. Does this mean that it's impossible to fall away? Well, again, we're going back to this. I'm not trying to be slamming Calvinism, but... Here's the question. Do we have no responsibility to remain preserved in Christ or kept in Christ? The Bible says we do. The Bible says God's given it to you, but you're it's your responsibility to stay. Why? Because he's not going to force you. He didn't force you to accept it. He's not going to force you to keep it either. Won't force you to accept it, and he can't force you to keep it. How could he? If he does, what do you not have? Yeah. Then you don't have free will. The Bible says we have a personal responsibility to remain in Christ. And friends, here's my question to you. (laughs) How diligently are you remaining in Christ? How diligently are you working to make your calling and election sure? That's a different version of what I read today. How diligently are you working every day to remain in the knowledge of the truth by the renewing of your mind? Where your heart and your mind are synonymous with the Spirit of God that lives within you. Because if you're not, they're not in agreement. And they can't be. It's impossible. Jude says that the word for preserved is the same thing as what Paul's talking about keep yourselves in God's love. This indicates that we have to coordinate with or cooperate with God and put responsibility to stay there directly on us. And, and Peter indicated. They are kept by the power of God through their own faith, 1 Peter 1.15. We're kept there by our own faith. Just like the woman was healed by her own faith, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. I didn't do it. Your faith did it. Your faith in me did it. Your faith in him keeps you preserved or kept in him as well. In other words, God provides the power to keep us safe, but we're going to have to provide the faith to stay and believe. Jesus' teaching on security is for those who are believers, not for unbelievers. It's for believers. What he means is no one can snatch us away from God against our will, not even Satan. He's going to try. But what he's really trying to do is convince you to leave. You understand that? So here's the question What if believers all of a sudden become unbelievers? Then what? Well, it's happened. Hasn't it happened? Does the promise still apply if the conditions have changed? What if we choose to leave or jump out of God's protective hand? What happens then? And rather than give you my opinion about it, or quote the opinions of others, let's do what we always ought to do. Let's go back to the Scripture. Fair enough? That believers can actually become unbelievers and thereby be in danger of losing salvation is clearly taught in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. Therefore, we are preserved in Jesus Christ, but remaining preserved involves personal responsibility. In fact, the Bible states that it requires that we keep ourselves in the love of God. That's what it says. Keep yourselves in the love of God or kept in preservation of the Spirit. Clearly, this also proves that although God loves His human creation, we truly aren't children of God unless we are saved and stay within that love And it's clearly different than the loved creation. God might love his creation, but those who are sanctified in love are very different than those who aren't. There's a difference between the saved and the unsaved, isn't there? How do we know that? Jesus said there will be sheep and there will be goats. And he said, my sheep know me. They hear my voice. Whose voice are the goats hearing the great counterfeiter amen so as our worship team comes friends we who are in Christ are indeed richly blessed we have been called by the gospel of Christ to which we all responded when we obeyed the conditions of the gospel faith repentance confession baptism yeah we've been sanctified or set apart for a holy purpose in God the Father as he works upon us through his Holy Spirit in conjunction with this Holy Word and on the basis of our own faith, we are preserved or kept in Jesus Christ all the way to eternal life. But friends, the forces of Satan are at work. Notice I said forces, plural. He's not alone in this. He got some friends with him, doesn't he? And my guess is if you're a Christian, you've done some business with him. They seek to undermine our faith in Jesus Christ, our faith in the system, our faith in God, our faith in the word of truth. They seek to harden our hearts toward God and one another and to develop an evil heart of unbelief sometimes. And that unbelief, we won't admit it, but we'll start to compromise and change the word of God into what it isn't. That's unbelief. They seek to make us spiritually lazy. And not maintain this diligence necessary to keep ourselves completely in the love of God. Jesus said, blameless. And yet, isn't God amazing? God in His grace has preserved His word to give us ample warning. And shall we not heed the the warnings found throughout His word? Such as those found in the epistle of Jude. And as we speak of giving heed to this... Here's my question to you today, and one only. Have you given the heed, or given heed to the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And have you decided, because of that, to remain preserved by the power of the Spirit that's within you? It's up to you. He's given you the way. All you have to do is accept it, just like He did salvation. And say today... I want to remain in you. I want to fulfill the prayer that my Savior gave. Father, sanctify them in me as I am sanctified in you, and therefore, preserve them in you. Your decision today, you've already been saved, and if you haven't, well, we've got some business to do, yeah. But if you have been saved, friends, are you entirely sanctified? You can pray for that right now. You can pray to be entirely sanctified right now. Maybe you've been on this journey of progressive sanctification, but you never got entirely sanctified and you want to ask God for it. Ask God to give you this desire for a deeper faith in Him. And if you're entirely sanctified, but you don't feel like you're feeling what's been going on is right in your life, ask Him for protection. And if you've been failing somewhere, Aren't you in the right place to ask for help there too? Friends, this is a can-do message, not you were bad. God doesn't care about that. He wants you to be aware of it and change it. And in him, he's giving you the way. Stand with me today. <clears throat> Up to you.